But uh, we're doing a message today that's a little bit different. We're here at the Armory, right? So we're just kind of having this one-week thing in one of the coolest, oldest buildings in Portland. Uh, the girl who runs this place was telling me that, like, the beams that are upstairs are actually, like, over 200 years old. It's so cool being here. Next week, we'll be back over at our normal location, and it's going to be a really special week. But uh, this week, I'm doing a message I'm calling Catching Feels. Catching Feels. Would you say that with me? Catching Feels. All right, it's kind of blowing up, you know, on the internet. I think it's been around a little while, but I've really been hearing people saying it a lot. And uh, it's a funny thing, because the way people talk about catching feels is almost the way you catch a cold. Achoo! You know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's almost like a sickness. You know, like the doctor comes to you like, I'm, re- I'm afraid it doesn't look good. You've got some feels. It's like, Have you traveled to West Africa recently? You know, it sounds like Ebola or something. Like, it sounds like a really bad thing. And that's what people talk about it, catching feels, catching feelings. Like, maybe it's a coworker, and you're supposed to... Keep things strictly business, strictly professional, but you caught some feels, right? You caught some feelings. Maybe it's you know uh, somebody on a team, somebody you serve at church with. Oh, man, I don't know. You caught some feelings. Could be that. But I actually want you to think about catching feels in a little bit of a different way. And uh, we're talking about love. And I want to tell you that instead of catching feels, because the thing about it, if you catch feels like a cold, you catch feels like uh, a sickness, you get over colds. You get over sicknesses. That's, that's very passive, right? Like, like It's like, you know, I was, I was feeling it. No, I'm not feeling it so much. I, I, I caught it. I caught some feels, but then I got over it. I'm, I'm over that person. Kind of in, kind of out, wishy-washy, passive. But I want you to think about catching feels a little bit differently because we're talking about love. And Portlanders love love, don't they? I mean, people love love in general. Americans love love. I was chilling in Cova the other day. Anybody ever go to Cova Coffee? Ooh, such good coffee. I was chilling there the other day, and uh, I was sitting at one of those large tables that are basically designed solely for the purpose of eavesdropping because, <laughs> because I didn't have headphones on, and there were these chatty girls having this fun time talking so much, super, super sweet girls, but they're like chatting it up, and I'm like, well, I don't really have a choice. I have, I, should I go get some tissue from like, I'm going to listen to their conversation. It just happens. I ended up inviting them to Easter, inviting them to church, and they were super pumped on the artwork, which was actually cool. But as they were talking, I overheard them talking about the political climate, and, and the one girl who was, like, super outgoing, she goes, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just such a hippie. I, I just wish that everybody could just peace and love. And why can't we all just love each other? Why can't there just be peace and love? You know, that got me thinking. Um, it got me thinking about this. Where did this notion of loving everyone come from? You know, because, uh, you know, really educated people, professors, they'll talk about this concept that I think really fascinating called the genealogy of an idea. Okay, the genealogy of an idea. It's also known as the genetics of an idea. In other words, where did this idea come from? Like, where did this whole concept of loving everybody really come from? Well, Rodney Stark, who's a sociologist at the University of Washington, he wrote, he's, I, he's not even a Christian, but he's a really famous sociologist, and he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And you know what he says? He says that prior to Christianity coming onto the world stage, The idea of the gods or God loving people didn't exist. And that the idea of God expecting people to love other people did not exist. And even the idea of loving other people outside of your immediate family and outside of your own tribe 
did not exist. So the whole concept of, of love everyone, let's love everybody, let's love everyone, God wants us, God is love. You know where that comes from? Whether you like it or not, if you just follow the genealogy of an idea, the idea of loving everyone and peace and love and all that, it comes from Christianity. Um, and so that's why I think it's so worth us paying attention to it. But you know what? It's not that catch and feels kind of love. It's not that passive, sentimental, gushy, weird, squishy love. It's, it's a totally a different love that's more radical. And they understood that when Christianity and, and, and Jesus bought this, brought this idea out onto the world stage. And we're going to hear about it from a dude named John. Now, John was known as the apostle of love. But he wasn't like that originally, because when Jesus first kicked it with him, he was like one of the sons of anarchy, all right? He actually got a nickname called the Sons of Thunder. James and John, Jesus like, dude, you guys are cray, man. Like, you the Sons of Thunder. That's what he called these boys. Because they were like, hey, Jesus, those guys didn't like our message. Should we freaking call down fire on them? Should we nuke those guys? Jesus like, nope, nope, definitely shouldn't do that. Let's not, that's not what I'm about. <laughs> but through knowing Jesus, one of the Sons of Thunder turned into the ambassador of love. And this is what John writes in a letter. He says, this was a letter that he wrote, part of the Bible now. He says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You catching some feelings now? Making feeling you make you feel warm. God is love. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. This is not how God. This is how God showed His love. How did He do it? Okay, God's love. What the heck does that look like? What does that mean? That sounds so sentimental. What, what, what does it mean? What does it really look like? This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God. It wasn't like we were loving him and then finally like, all right, well, I'll come around. No, it wasn't that we loved God. It was that God loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. A lot of people I know in Portland, people who I care about, people who I go get lunch with, people who I think are super cool and, and, and I enjoy being around, they would tell me this. I've actually had people tell me this. You know what? I like some of that Christianity stuff. I like that God is love stuff. But what about all this other dogma? What about all this other doctrine, all these creeds, you know, the, the, this weird stuff? That's so esoteric. That's so weird. That's so divisive. It's so hard, hard to understand. Forget all that theology. Let's just keep the pure message, just the pure message of love. Let's just, let's just keep it simple like that. You know what Rodney Stark would say? You know what John would say? You know what the Bible would say is that you can't have one without the other. That the way that we know love, how does God love us? That the way that we know love is because God did something. God was active. That, that the incarnation, it's a big fancy word, Jesus coming into the world, that's how we see what love is. That otherwise, God is love. That's intangible. 
That's ineffable. That, 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 that's, that's hard to understand. That's squishy. That's sentimental. But it says this. You know what? That, that, that it defines love for us when we look at Jesus. It says that love is active, not passive. It says that love takes initiative. That real love is undeserved. That you love someone whether they deserve it or not. And then you see in the face of Jesus, what else do we see about love? We see that love never gives up. That love never gives up. See, we talk about catching feels like you're catching a cold. But you know what the Bible tells us love is more like? Love is more like catching foxes. <laughs> love is more like catching frisbees. That love is more like, you know, going and catching a football like a tight end. Like you're going to have to hard charge it. You're going to have to run. You're going to have to go get some feelings. You're going to go have to chase them down. You're going to have to catch some feels, but it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some initiative. It's going to take some hustle. It's going to take some work that those feelings don't just come. You go and get those feelings that you go choose to love. You chase people down, whether they, you, 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 you chase it down, whether you feel like it or not. Then the feelings come. We're going to catch some feels, anybody? Going to catch some feels. Don't catch a cold. You go catch a fox, all right? You go chase it. Go get it, all right? First thought from this passage is this, is that if it's not devoted, it's not love. If it's not devoted, it's not love. The way the voice translation, not the TV show with CeeLo Green and Christina Aguilera, but the voice translation of the Bible translates this verse like this. It says, my loved ones, let us devote ourselves to loving one another. Let us devote ourselves to loving one another. When you become a Christian, and Americans don't get this because sociologists tell us we're living in the most individualistic culture on the planet. And not that necessarily that traditional cultures are better where it's more about the family, but that we're living in an insanely individualistic culture, which is also a very lonely culture. We live in a very lonely day and age. But a lot of Christians don't get this in America, but the early Christians did, that when you become a Christian, you become a part of a community. That the moment you become a Christian, you become a part of a community, and you cannot have one without the other. He says, anybody who says that they love God, but they don't love other Christians, they're liars. That the moment you become a Christian, you've got to get with a squad. So a lot of people will be like, no, man, I, I love Jesus. I've got spirituality. I love God, but I, but I, I love them out in the woods. I, I, just, I go out and I have church at the coast. And you can worship God at the coast. Of course you can. Oh, I go have church out in nature. I, I go to this. But here's the deal. You can't be devoted to one another all by yourself out in a meadow. You can't be devoted to one another and love one another all outside of the coast. You got to be with a squad. You got to be with a community. We got to love one another. And if we really love God, we're going to love one another. We're going to be devoted to one another. So you made a good decision by being at church today. Good job being at church today. You made the right choice by being here because we got to be committed to one another. But you know, a lot of people would say, that, I don't like commitments too much because commitments sound kind of uh, restrictive. Like, I like to keep my options open, all right? I always got a back, I always got an escape hatch that I can escape out of any, I can always back out of plans. I feel very confined. I feel very, I feel tied down. Don't tie me down like that. Uh, I'm a peacock. You got to let me fly. You know, you got to stay free. Like, like that's how, <laughs> peacock, peacocks don't fly. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, we got to stay, got to stay free. That's how a lot of people think about it. 
But you know what? We think that commitments will limit us. But you know the truth is? Your lack of commitment will limit you. Your lack of commitment will limit you. Think about an athlete. I only show up to practice when I feel like it. Okay, man, you're not going to play. <laughs> oh, I, I, you know, I, I only play guitar when I really feel like it. It's like, okay, you're never going to get good if you quit when your fingers start hurting on the frets. Oh, oh, I, I, do you think the person goes on to be a neurosurgeon because they study when they feel like it? No. You see, discipline will free you. Everybody wants freedom, right? Discipline will free you to do what no one else can do. Your lack of commitment will you limit. You think, oh, I feel very limited. I, I don't want to put it on the calendar. I don't want to show up at church every week. I don't want to be committed to, to one woman or one man, one relationship. Like, no, no, I want to. No, no, no. Commitment will set you free to do what no one else can do. Commitment, the lack of commitment is what really limits you. Romans 12, 9 says this. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. You get that? That's a command of Christians. You can't be devoted to one another if you go to church twice a year. <laughs> you can't even really be devoted to one another if you only go to church when you feel like it. We've got to be devoted to one another. We've got to honor one another above ourselves. But a lot of people say, you know, I don't get anything out of church. Uh, you know, I, I left that church. I was going to that church for a while, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. So I quit going. I just want to propose to you a possibility. Maybe you're not getting anything out of church because you're not putting anything into church. Now, if I read a book on scuba diving at home in my apartment, safe and dry, with no intention of ever going scuba diving, I'm not going to get much out of that book. I'm going to be sitting there in my apartment. I mean, unless I'm going scuba diving the Willamette, but then you get like radiation poisoning or something, toxic waste. If I'm sitting in my apartment reading a book on scuba diving. I'm not getting much out of it. But if I'm like on a flight to the Caribbean, I'm going to get a whole lot out of that book. If I'm on a boat about to go scuba diving, I'm going to get a lot out of that book. And a lot of what Christianity teaches, a lot of what we preach, a lot of what's in the Bible only makes sense if you plan on living it. Only makes sense if you plan on being a part of it. Only makes sense if you're committed to God's people. Whoa, then it starts making a whole lot of sense. Then it starts making a lot of sense. You know, maybe you're not getting anything out of church because you're not investing anything into church. Uh, you know, Soren Kierkegaard was a uh, Danish philosopher, and um, he, was a, he was a Danish philosopher, and he thought a lot about identity. He's actually pretty popular. People still read his stuff at college and, you know, at Powell's, whatever else. But he thought a lot about identity. That's what a lot of people want, right? People want to find themselves. People want to know the true you. I'm trying to self-discovery, and I'm looking into my heart. But Kierkegaard was smart because he realized something. He said, who are you? Who are you? Are you your feelings? Is that who you are? He said, no. Your feelings are largely determined by something outside of your control. Your feelings can be determined by what's happening to you. That's not you. Your feelings are determined by your circumstances. Your feelings are going to be determined by what you ate. Your feelings can be determined by the fact that it was, didn't, you didn't see the sun for 30 days straight as rain gushed down. <laughs> your feelings aren't you. What is Kierkegaard said then, who are you? You are the commitments you choose to make and whether or not you keep them. That's who you are. What commitments you choose, that's who you are, and then whether or not you keep them. And, and I said this last week that we need to sometimes make less commitments 
so that we can be more committed to more important things. We need to make less commitments so that we can be more committed to more important things. Um, my, bo- my boy Gabe laid some, laid some science on me, and he said this. He said, most people schedule obligations. Leaders schedule priorities. Running around, oh, I got a doctor appointment. Ah, obligation. Oh, I got class. Oh, I got to get over this. Oh, I got to be at work. I got to do this. Oh, I don't have time for that. No, no, no. Leaders say this. I'm going to schedule time for my family. I'm going to schedule time for God. I'm going to priorities. I'm, a, I'm not going to let life happen to me. I'm going to make something happen. I'm not going to find time. I'm going to make time. That's what leadership looks like. That's when you're really living life, not just following your heart wherever, crazy talk. You know, um, um, next thought is this. Is that, next thought is that if you decide to love, you become a leader. When you decide to love, you become a leader. Look with me. He defines what love is. He defines the way God loves, that God takes initiative, that God is active, not passive, that God loves the undeserving, that God loves, and he never gives up. He never gives up. 1 John 4, 7 to 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. He sent. He didn't wait for us to go find him. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He didn't wait for us to earn our way to him. And he didn't wait for us to love him first. No, he took the lead. He took the initiative. He sent. He came. He went. He did. He sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God. We weren't taking the lead. No, 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 no. God loved us. Dear friend, he continues on. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Most people catch feels, right? They catch feels like, oh, you know, feeling, the feelings come. I'll do it if I feel like it. No, no, no. If you really want to love, if you want to catch feels like you catch a football, you want to catch feels, what do you do? You realize that the actions of love come first. The feelings of love come second. The decision to love comes first. The, 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 and that the feelings of love come second. The moment you stop following your feelings is the moment you become a leader. Think about it. Think about it. You're following your feelings. You're not a leader. You're just being thrown about by circumstances. You're just being thrown back by the weather, thrown about by this. The moment you stop following your feelings is the moment you become a leader. Jesus told us to love our enemies. Jesus told us to do active unto others the way we wish they were doing unto us. See, when you love your enemies for long enough, you become their leader. <laughs> if you love your enemies for long enough, you'll become their leader. Well, because otherwise, if you just react, if you just react, oh, my, my boss cussed me out, and so I cussed him out. And, 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 my, and my girlfriend, she was a jerk to me, so I was a jerk to her. And my husband wasn't loving me, so I didn't love him. You're a follower. <laughs> You're letting their feelings determine your behavior. Think about it. But the moment you quit following your feelings is the moment you become a leader. If you choose to love them, regardless of your feelings, and a lot of uh, Portland would say, well, that seems fake. That seems inauthentic. That seems in-. No, it's not. It's not fake at all. Tim Keller's got the best illustration of this ever. He talks about covenant love and how committed love, devoted love, really will produce deeper feelings of love. I mean, you want to hear the example? So he's talking about being a parent. And how unless you're some kind of a psycho who needs to be like locked away, most people understand that you got to love your kids whether you feel like it or not. (laughs) 
Like, you got to feed your kid whether you feel like it or not. Like, I, don't feel, I don't feel like a parent today, so I'm just not going to parent. It's like, that's a problem. Let me tell you, I got a little boy who's three years old. When my little boy starts shrieking his lungs out when he's a newborn baby at 2, 3 in the morning because he's food or he needs a diaper change, do I feel in love with my baby at 3 a.m.? No, I feel like throwing my baby out the window <laughs> at 3 a.m. Hashtag too real. <laughs> but here, what Tim Keller points out is this. When you choose actions of love over and over and over again, regardless of your feelings, deeper feelings of love come. When you choose actions of love, say, I'm going to invest in that child, whether I feel like it or not. You think I, I, like my wife will be like, hey, lion needs to get dressed this morning. I'll be like, I don't feel like getting lion dressed. I feel like drinking three more cups of coffee, and maybe then we'll talk about it. <laughs> you know? But if I go get him dressed over and over, you invest in that child, you invest in that child. I know what happens. You have something so much deeper and richer and realer and truer than the passing feelings of infatuation. What do you have? You have devotion. And most parents who've invested thousands of dollars in their kids, or their millions of dollars, millions of hours, they're never going to get back, they would die for their kids. Because a feeling of love that's so much realer than just passing wishy-washy feelings develops over time. Do it by faith and your feelings will follow. Do it by faith and your feelings will follow. Do it by faith and your feelings will follow. The moment you stop following your feelings is the moment you become a leader. If you Google the phrase, follow your heart, punch that into Google, you'll get results. The last time I did it, I got these results. 1,630,000 results. Follow your heart. And I love how Google adds on there in 0.11 seconds. You're so modest, Google. Just like humble brag. 0.11 seconds. Follow your heart. But here's the thing. I've found that my heart can give me very conflicting signals. <laughs> that my heart seems to not know what it wants sometimes. I think about the guy. Your heart's like, hey, you're going to go be the best rock star in the entire world. You're going to go be uh, You're going to be a legend. And then, and then you're like, you know, feeling frustrated. Ten minutes later, it's like your heart's like, no, quit. You're never going to make it. You can't do anything. You're the worst. My heart's super sketchy. It's like, which time do I listen to my heart? My heart's like, hey, Jesse, you should go start a church. And then ten minutes later, it's like, don't start a church. Nobody likes you. <laughs> your heart, your heart's dead. terrible. Don't follow your heart. Your heart doesn't even know what the crap it's talking about. Jeremiah 7, 17, 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Sorry, that's not very positive to your inner child, but it's realistic. Look at the world. People follow their heart all the time, and they abandon their kids. People follow their heart all the time. They abandon their wives. They cheat on their wives. People follow their heart all the time. They beat people. They get smashed. They get drunk. Follow your heart does terrible things. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. And I know maybe you're secular here, you don't even believe in Jesus, but just think about it. I said it earlier, like, the neuroscientist doesn't go like, oh, I don't really feel like I've been doing brain surgery for 18 hours. I feel like killing this guy. <laughs> no. 
What, what does he do? He, t- he takes his heart and puts it in a headlock and says, I'm going to save this guy's life, and I'm going to sit here for 18 hours on my feet and keep operating on this dude. You don't follow your heart. You put your heart in a headlock. You do what you got to do. I take control of my heart. I make it go forward. Do it by faith, and your feelings will follow. Anybody got tats in here? Anybody, like, tatted up? We're in, like, a tatted up town. Here's a tat that I like that I think you just should just put, put inside of you for later. See, a lot of sailors, all old school, they would tattoo on their hands, hold fast. Because when you are in a hurricane, when you are in a, in a, in a, in a crazy, crazy storm, your heart's going to be telling you to quit. Your heart's going to be telling you to give up. But you know what those sailors would do? They'd hold fast, hold fast to the rigging, hold fast to the oars. Keep at it. Keep at it. You're going to come through this storm. Hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast. Hey, go catch some feels. Don't just catch some feels. You, you don't follow your heart. You listen to your heart. You, you, you don't listen to your heart. You talk to your heart. You say, heart, hold fast. Hold fast through this hurricane. Hold fast through the storm. Because if you follow your heart, you'll end up dead. Check that out. That's good stuff right there. I bet you some, next week somebody's going to be like, I got a tattoo of that. I did it. I got it. I'm addicted to it. I can't stop. All right. If you stay put, you'll stand out. Next slide. If you stay put, you'll stand out. 253 times in the Old Testament, it talks about the covenant love of God. The word that's used a lot of times is either steadfast mercy or, or it's also known as the steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord. Uh, 43 times... In the Old Testament, it talks about the steadfast love of the Lord. Want to know how long the steadfast love of the Lord endures? Somebody say it with me. Forever. That the steadfast love of the Lord, it endures how long? Forever. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. But I love this text. (laughs) Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but who can find a faithful man? Hey, I'm legit. I'm gonna love you forever, baby. I'm gonna love you. I love you forever. I love you forever. I love you forever. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, I'm gonna be there, man. You can count on me. I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna be reliable. Well, who can find one who actually does? If you stay put, you'll stand out. There's a whole world full of sketchy, wishy washy, here a minute, gone in the next moment, wishy washy people. But if we become reliable people, if we become people who say, you know what, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to work, I'm gonna give it everything I got, whether I feel like it or not, you're gonna stand out. <laughs> you're gonna rise to the top, and nobody will be able to hold you down if you do it to God's glory. But how do you find the power source? The way you become a steadfast person is by centering your life on his steadfast love. If you wanna be a steadfast person, trust in his steadfast love. You wanna be a steadfast person, anchor your thoughts, to show up at church and, and learn about the steadfast love of God, whether you feel like it or not. Get in his word, read about his steadfast love, whether you feel like it or not. It'll make you, it'll reap dividends in the rest of life. But you know, a lot of people say, uh, I just kinda of want some spontaneity though. I want to commit random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty, you know? But here, here's the deal. We want everything to be sporadic, and we want everything to be organic. But even organic farmers know that organic things take organization. You can't have consistent progress without consistent commitment. 
You think, we want everything to be sporadic, everything to be organic. Oh, that, that, was, that, that was sporadic. That was so real. You just did it because you felt like it in the moment. But if you want consistent progress, it takes consistent commitment. The dude who's like, you know, growing the organic fruit that you like, he shows up and he waters the freaking apples whether you feel like it or whether he wants to or not. And that's the only way to bear fruit. It takes commitment. Um, you know, a lot of Portlanders would be like, you know, that sounds restrictive though. Showing up to work, whether I feel like it or not, sounds very life-sucking. Sounds very true. Being married to one person my whole life, that sounds terrible. It sounds miserable. It sounds very restrictive. But you know who realized that, and we love freedom, right? I want to be free. I want to keep my options open. I want to free to do whatever I want, whatever I want. That's really the goal, to be free. You know who realized that this wasn't the case? Guy was not a Christian. You will find his books on the best-selling books of Powell's bookstore, uh, he was one of the most celebrated postmodern, late modern authors of the 90s and 2000s. He actually was investigating Christianity at the end of his life, which I think is interesting. But celebrated Portland, big, celebrated author here in Portland and around the world, David Foster Wallace wrote this in his most successful book, Infinite Jest. He said this Your freedom is the freedom from. No one tells you, precious individual USA selves, what they must do. It is this meaning only, this freedom from constraint, this freedom from forced arrest. But you know nothing. What of the freedom to? Not just freedom from. You see, not all compulsion comes from without. You pretend you don't see this, but what about the freedom to? The rich father who could afford the cost of candy as well as food for his children, but if he cries out, freedom! Freedom! And allows his child to choose, oh, this kid's free. My child's so free. My my kid will kill himself if I just let him do whatever he wants. (laughs) His child to choose only what is sweet, eating only candy, not pea soup and bread and eggs. So his child becomes weak and sick. Is the rich man who cries freedom a good father? Continue on. We are children, bullies, but still children inside. And we'll kill ourselves for if you put the candy within arm's reach. He said in a different essay this. The feeling of having to obey every impulse. Oh, I felt like having sex with her, so I did. I felt like eating that, so I did. I felt like getting drugs, so I did. The feeling of having to obey every impulse and gratify every desire seems to me a strange kind of slavery. But nobody talks about it as such. That dude's not even a Christian. He just realizes that that makes sense. And that's what the Bible says over and over again. You think that restriction and commitment, being committed to one person, being committed to one thing, one job, one this, one that, you think that's very restrictive. But what did I tell you before? Discipline will set you free to do things no one else can do. Discipline will set you free to do things that no one else can do. Your desires can distract you from your destiny. Your pleasures can keep you from your potential. Your urges can keep you from what's most urgent. And if you want the freedom to do tremendous things, you have to give up some trivial things. Can we celebrate that together? People, people don't want to commit because they're afraid of missing out. Well, if I commit to being there at church, I might miss out on some cool trip. If I commit to being at work, I might miss out on this. But here's the deal. People bail out because they don't want to miss out. But if you stick it out, you'll stand out. 
People bail out because they don't want to miss out. But if you stick it out, you'll, you'll stand out. You're missing on other things. You're missing on deeper things. You're missing out on more epic things, more tremendous things, richer things that you'll never experience in a flimsy, wishy-washy, selfish, do-whatever-you-feel kind of way. And here's, the, here's what this text tells us. Where's this coming from? Let's go to the last verse. I think it's verse 12, 1 John. It says this, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. If we're a devoted group of people, where we say we're going to be devoted to this church, we're going, to be, we're going to show up whether we feel like it or not. We're going to love each other whether we feel like it or not. We're going to love our kids whether we feel like it or not. We're going to love our spouse whether we feel like we're going to do it. We're going to do it by faith. You know what's going to happen? We're not just going to stand out. We're going to make the invisible God visible. We're going to make the invisible God Visible. We're going to look like him when we love the undeserving, when we love and we never quit, when our love is active, not passive, when our love is devoted, not just infatuation. All right, final thought, and you know this, because all this is heavy. It's all good advice, but good advice won't cut it. You all know this. We need something more than good advice. We need good news. And that's what this text really is all about. It's this. The more you catch the love of God, the more you'll feel love for others. The more you catch the love of God, the more you'll feel love for others. It says, in the beginning, dear friends, let us love one another. I wonder what the Greek actually says. The Greek says this, as those loved, let us love. As those loved, let us love. I told you last week that if you get all riled up, you're like, yeah, I'm going to throw myself in my career with my whole heart no matter what I feel like. Oh, I'm going to throw myself in my family no matter if they love me. I'm going to get all riled up. What will happen there are going to be huge periods of time where what you put in is more than what you get out in every area. There are going to be huge amounts of time where what you put in is greater than what you get out. And if that's all your life is, if all your life is is your kids, they're going to move out one day. You'll be crushed. If all your life is your work, your work's not going to go so well for a season. It'll crush you. You'll have all this anxiety and inner turmoil all it is is that, 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 that spouse. You're like, oh, I'm going to love my spouse whether they like it or not, whether they deserve it or not. It'll crush you because they love you. But what I tell you last week is this. The cross is the only place in the whole universe where the love you receive will always be greater than the love you give. The cross is the only place in the whole universe where the love you receive will always be greater than the love you give. As those who are loved, let us so love. As those who are loved, let us so love. Uh, I actually read this in a marketing book. I'm not that smart, but I thought it really made a lot of sense. This is kind of how our brains work, by the way. All right? Check this out. You have a brain, and I'm not a brain scientist. There's probably something wrong with what I'm saying. But, (laughs) But inside your brain, you have the limbic brain, And that's actually where gut decisions come from. When you say you make a gut decision, that's a decision made with your limbic brain. Okay, but your limbic brain is responsible for feels, (laughs) it's for emotions, catching feels, it's responsible for meaning, it's responsible, get this, for long-term memory. Long-term memory. Our neocortex is responsible for all kinds of other stuff, for language, for high-order thinking, for reasoning, for rationale. 
Want to know why you need to come to church for a long time before it starts really working? Want to know why we got to get here every week? Want to know why I'm always preaching the gospel? It's because we need the love of God in our limbic brain. We need the love of God in our long-term memory. We need to get it down deep. We need it deep inside of us. We need it because that's the part of our brain that's responsible for decision-making. That's where decisions organically come from. And we need the love of God in our limbic brain. We need to know it down deep. 1 John 4, 1 says this, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Every religion in the world, including Christianity, when it gets perverted, says this, If I love God, God will love me. But the gospel is the only place in the universe that says, Before I loved God, he loved me. When I didn't love God, when I was a jerk, when I was selfish, when you were bailing out, he didn't bail out. When you weren't loving him, he still loved you. God is the ultimate leader. He took the lead. He laid down his life. He loved you to the death. He loved you when you didn't deserve it. And people say, oh, oh, that's esoteric that Jesus died on the cross. No, it's not. It's, it's not this off, far off weird thing because the truth is love costs you something. In this messed up, broken world, when my wife is, 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 when we're having problems, it doesn't feel like this squishy, sentimental, oh, God is love floating. It feels visceral. It feels painful. It feels costly. It feels expensive. And this verse tells us that the way God loved us was it was expensive. And it was visceral. And it was gritty. And it was costly. And it was painful. That he sent, and let's put the verse on the screen, that he sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That he died in our place. When someone really wrongs you, it makes you angry. And the Bible says the way we've all been wronging each other and the way we've been wronging God, it makes him angry. But you know what the Bible says? It says that Jesus drank the cup of God's fury so that you and I could drink the cup of mercy. That Jesus took away the anger that's just righteous anger. When you see injustice, when you see the headlines, it makes you angry. It makes God angry. But Jesus took the anger. He took God's justice so that we could have God's grace. And we need to get that down in our souls. And that's what communion's about. As we are so loved, let us love one another. When you catch the love of God, you'll begin to feel love for others. Father, I pray that we do this. We thank you that we get to be here together. We thank you for this constant reminder. I pray that if there are skeptics here, people who are still thinking like, oh, some of that made sense, but I don't know. Lord, I pray they'd stick it out. I pray they'd keep coming. They'd keep looking into it. Lord, I pray for the rest of us that we'd live it. We'd live it out, that we'd get it down deep in our limbic brain so that it'd be a part of our decision-making. We'd live it out every day. I pray this in Jesus' name. You can come and take communion as you want to, and let's just reflect on the love of God.